Turn in your Bible with me today to Romans chapter 9. We're going to look at Romans chapter 9 verses 14 through 33. And then we're going to look at chapter 10, 1 through 4. Uh, so Romans 9, 14 through 33. And Romans chapter 10, verse 4. Um, so in looking back at my notes, we, uh, we started studying Paul's letter to the Romans way back in November of, of 2019. And we, uh, so we've climbed through the book of Romans together. We got to the peak of Romans 8, as we discussed last week. We're now in the valley of Romans 9 and 10, where Paul is struggling with those who will reject the beauty, the wonder, the majesty, and the love of God found in Christ Jesus. Uh, so we're actually going to begin this study looking at Romans 10, 1 through 4, and then digging in to Romans 9, 14 through 33. So Paul writes in Romans 10, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for your word today. I thank you for your heart for us, God, that you desire us to be saved. You desire us to be set free from our sin from uh, just our ignorance, uh, from our stubborn hearts, and you desire for us to walk in your ways, to be your children by faith. Uh, and so we we just ask for your help, God, in 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 all that we're going through as a society right now. God, that our hearts would be looking to you, God, that we would be living every day like it's our last, like you could. Um, be returning any day, God, and and um, and calling us uh, into Your presence, and so we we lift up these scriptures together, and we ask You to speak to us. We ask You to teach us, and rebuke us, and correct us, and train us in Your righteousness, God, that we may be equipped for every good work. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, Amen. So as we look at this passage, it's important that we begin by thinking about who is Paul talking to? Who is he addressing um, in this passage? He says, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Well, who is the them and the they? And so obviously it's the people that um, he, you know, he's, uh, he's talking to um the the people in Rome, first of all, he's talking to the believers in Rome, people that lived in this corrupt Roman world um, of emperor worship, of polytheism, of paganism, and um, and so all kinds of darkness uh, were around the Roman people, and um, and so he's 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 speaking first of all, he's writing to these believers in Rome who had been called out of darkness into the light of God's word. They'd been called out of darkness into the light of God's word, called out of this 
corrupt society into the purity of God in Jesus Christ. And so, but who is the them and the they that he's addressing in that passage? Well, that's the Israelites. Paul's talking to the believers in Rome about the nation of Israel. And he's saying, as we discussed last week, his heart is broken for the Israelites. Uh, His heart is broken for them uh, because they rejected Christ. Uh, because they rejected Jesus Christ. And, uh, and so what are they like? What are the Israelites that Paul's describing to the Roman believers like? Well, first of all, they were full of zeal. They had a great fervor. They had enthusiasm for God, but it was not according to knowledge. They had all kinds of enthusiasm, but it was not according to knowledge. Um, and so if you think about that, it, it's like they were, you know, they, they had this, all this energy, but it was moving in the wrong direction. It would be like a, a locomotive, you know, charging down the track uh, with uh, uh, just full speed. And even though it's got all this power and speed and weight behind it, if the bridge is out up ahead, it's going to crash. You're going to die in that locomotive no matter what's, you know, what's driving it because it's going in the wrong direction. It's headed for destruction. And so that's how they were. They were full of zeal, fervor, enthusiasm, but they were headed the wrong way. They were headed to destruction. And so uh, he says that they're not only that, they're not only full of zeal, but not according to knowledge, but they're also ignorant of the righteousness of God, and they sought to establish their own righteousness. Um, And while seeking their own righteousness, they were rejecting the righteousness of God that was given to them in Jesus Christ. For Jesus the Messiah is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Jesus, the Messiah, hear that today, is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Paul, he has great sorrow for them. He has unceasing anguish in his heart for all people, but especially for the people of Israel, because they seem to be the most blinded toward Jesus Christ, even though they had the best opportunity to recognize Jesus and believe in him as their promised Messiah. They had the best opportunity to recognize Jesus and believe in him as their promised Messiah. So if we're not careful, we can miss out on what is right in front of us, just like the nation of Israel did. We can be blessed and given every opportunity to believe in Jesus and be saved, But we miss out because we're blinded by our own self-righteousness. We miss out because we're blinded by our own self-righteousness. So now getting to chapter 9, why did Israel reject Jesus Christ as their Messiah even though They had the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises, and the patriarchs. They rejected Jesus Christ because they had fashioned an idol Messiah in their own image and their idol Messiah that they had made in their own image
I mean, in their mind, their idol Messiah that they had made in their own image would come and that idol Messiah would crush their enemies. That idol Messiah would come and, uh, and, and destroy their enemies. Um, and so that was their idea. But when Jesus came and instead of destroying their enemies, he was crushed on the cross for the sin of mankind. He was crucified. They just could not accept that. They rejected Jesus because the idol Messiah they had made in their own image didn't match up to what Jesus said. Listen to Psalm 115, 1 through 11. The psalmist writes, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness, why should the nations say, Where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. Oh, Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Oh, house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Israelites had fashioned an idol Messiah in their minds. And that was the only Messiah they would accept, even though Jesus proved with overwhelming evidence that he was the walking, talking, healing, demon-delivering, dead-raising Messiah, and yet they rejected him because he didn't fit into what they thought the Messiah should be. And many people still reject Jesus today because he wasn't what they wanted him to be. And so Paul's plea for the Israelites is a plea for God's sovereignty. It was God's choice to send Jesus to die on the cross for the sins of mankind. It was God's choice to pick Abraham instead of Lot, or Moses instead of Pharaoh, or Jacob instead of Esau, and Jesus Christ, the suffering servant, over the military Messiah the nation of Israel longed for. Paul declares that no matter what we think of God, what we think of what God has done, God is just. And God will have mercy on whom he will have mercy, and he will have compassion on whom he will have compassion. There's something called blasphemy, and it's talked about a lot in Scripture. And blasphemy is the act of cursing, slandering, reviling, or showing contempt or lack of reverence for God. Hear that again. Blasphemy is the act of cursing, slandering, reviling, or showing contempt or lack of reverence for God. God's purposes do not depend on human will or human work. God doesn't need us. Everything depends on God. We desperately need God in everything that we do. Everything depends on God 
And so you and I must be ever thankful that God is merciful. In Romans 9, 14-18, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For He says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth, so that He has mercy on whomever He wills, and He hardens whomever He wills. So from that truth that we see there, everything depends on God. Paul says if everything depends on God, some people say, well, why does God hold people responsible? Why does God hold people responsible? If everything depends on God, why does he hold people responsible for what they do, for their actions? Well, the answer Paul gives is who are you to answer back to God? God is completely sovereign, and He also holds human beings completely responsible for turning to His Son for redemption and salvation, or turning away from His Son and resisting His will and becoming a vessel of wrath prepared for destruction. Verse 19, you, you, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, old man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and one for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory? Even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles, as indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay and Isaiah predicted that the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah God is the potter and we are the clay and unless we humble ourselves before him through repentance and surrender our lives to Jesus Christ we will be destroyed just like the Old Testament cities of Sodom and Gomorrah Go study about those cities in, in Genesis. They are completely wiped out. Fire rains down from heaven and God in His justice destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. God is the potter. We are the clay. And unless we humble ourselves before Him through repentance and surrender, 
and give our lives wholeheartedly to Jesus Christ, we too will be sent to eternal destruction. That's what Paul is teaching here. Jesus will either be the foundation we build our lives upon, or He will be the stone we stumble over. Listen to chapter 9, 30-33. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as it were based as if it were based on works, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So believers attain righteousness by faith. Righteousness attained through faith is not based on heritage. doesn't matter what nation you come from, uh, any of that. It's attained through the finished work of the suffering servant, Jesus Christ. Righteousness is attained through the finished work of the suffering servant, Jesus Christ. We either fall upon Jesus Christ or we stumble over Jesus Christ and what He has done for us on the cross. So here are some things that I'm taking away uh, from, from this passage. First of all, I need to watch not only what I say about God, but also what I think about God. So just because I don't understand a situation does not give me the right to question God or to call God names like unjust or unmerciful. In the Old Testament, blaspheming God was a serious crime punishable by death. Leviticus 24, 15-16, And speak to the people of Israel, saying, Whoever curses his God shall bear his sin. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him. And then blasphemy also broke one of the commandments, the third commandment. Um, you shall not take the Lord of your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. God is holy. God is righteous. God is just. God is worthy of all our worship, praise, and adoration. There's a hymn we sing in church sometimes called Worthy of Worship. Worthy of worship. Worthy of praise. Worthy of honor and glory. Worthy of all the offerings we bring. Worthy of all the glad songs we can sing. Worthy of all the offerings we bring. You are worthy. Father, Creator, You are worthy. Savior, Sustainer, You are worthy, worthy and wonderful, worthy of worship and praise. Our God is worthy of worship and praise. So what is keeping you from living a life that praises, honors, adores, and worships the one true God? Run away from the curses of blasphemy. 
and run into the blessing of praising and honoring God with your thoughts and your words. We need to watch not only what we say about God, but also what we think about God, especially when we're going through times of great sorrow and unceasing anguish. Especially when we're going through times of great sorrow and unceasing anguish. The second takeaway is... I need to be careful about making God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Spirit into my own image. If my understanding of God does not line up with the Word of God, then I'm an idol worshiper. If I think that somehow I'm going to do enough good to get into heaven, I'm an idol worshiper. The song, Change My Heart, O God, says, Change my heart, O God, make it ever true. Change my heart, O God, may I be like you. You are the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me, this is what I pray. We need to make sure that the God we serve is the one true God of the Bible. Otherwise, we have made a homemade God that cannot do anything to help or save us from our sin. And it's our hearts and our minds that need to change. God does not need to change. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We need to move from blasphemy to blessing, from the treason of idol worship to the trusting in the salvation of Jesus Christ with all our hearts and all our minds and all our souls and all our strength. And lastly... We need to move away from the folly and foolishness of works-based thinking to faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ and his victory over death through the resurrection. God hates our idols. God hates our works-based religions. He hates them so much he sent his son to die on the cross to set us free. Our salvation is 100% dependent on God and 0% dependent on us. Run away from the foolishness of works-based religion and run to a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Whoever believes in Jesus will not be put to shame. Hear that today. Whoever believes in Jesus, runs to Jesus, surrenders their heart, their life to Jesus, will not be put to shame. Are you blaspheming or living in blessings? It's one or the other. We live in blasphemy against God or we live in the blessing uh, and wonder of God. Are you committing treason against the God who has given you all things by worshiping idols and and, uh, and making trying to make and earn your own way into heaven? Or are you trusting in His free gift of salvation in Jesus Christ? Are you living the life of a works-based fool? Thinking somehow you can do better than what God has done in Jesus? Or are you living by grace through faith in Jesus Christ? Let's pray together. God, I just pray for this message that it would move in people's lives.
God, I pray that you would seek and save the lost through your word today. I pray we would surrender that blasphemous spirit that thinks we know better than you, that thinks that we're better than others. God, that we would just stop the blasphemy and live in your blessing. Help us to do that, God. Help help people listening to know what steps to take to get into a life that is blessed and and, uh, and honored and and uh, honored by you, God. Help them. God, help us if we're making idols and trying to work our own way into heaven. Help us to repent of that treason and help us to turn to you, God, for salvation. God, help those that are trying to be good enough to get into heaven to see that we've all sinned and fallen short. And that every one of us must confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ, you are Lord, and believe in our heart that God, you raised Jesus from the dead to be saved. Pray that that would happen. I pray we would repent of that foolishness of works-based religion and enter into a real-life relationship with you. God, I pray your word would move. In Jesus' name, amen.